0: Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the wonderful day that you've given. Thank you for life and health and strength. And I thank you for the privilege of being able to do this. And I ask that you will please be with me. Help as we try to get this recording underway. Please be with the technology. Please be with the hearers. And may it all be a blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our study title, devotional title today, God's Ways Are Not Our Ways. And the verse we're going to use, not the one in Isaiah, which would also be appropriate, we're going to use 1 Corinthians 1, verses 27 through 29. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. 1 Corinthians 1, 27-29 In this section, Corinthians 1, Paul was talking to the Corinthian believers and he was explaining a number of things to them. I have an appreciation for the epistles to the churches because I try to remember the context of the letter every time I read any passage within it. What was the point? What was he addressing? He had started up the Corinthian church and he was writing a letter to them for a couple of reasons. One is there was some stuff going on that some of the brethren had asked him to to speak on. And he would follow up with the churches that he had started to keep them encouraged in the faith and to keep them moving forward. And so he was sending them a letter. There was some encouragement in there. There was gonna be some deep doctrine in there by the time you get to chapter 15. Uh, There was gonna be some reproof in there around chapters five and six. And so there was a lot that was going on here, but um, he wanted to point out that it was the simplicity of the gospel that was important. That he came to them not with a bunch of flowery speech, but with simple words backed by Holy Spirit power. And if you go back further than this, than the start of this verse, uh, let's start with verse 18. Okay, verse 18. Uh, in fact, we'll do verse 17 because it, it's, uh, it's a little bit better. So verse 17 helps you. It says, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Right? What's Paul saying there? The gospel is not simply about charismatic speech, great oratory that's not what it's about. That's not the power of the gospel. Okay? That's what men rely upon. But God doesn't rely upon those things because God's ways are not our ways. God's strategy is not our strategy. Our strategy should be what God's strategy is. As believers, we should follow the strategy of God. But generally speaking, what men think is a good idea and what God thinks is a good idea are often two very different things. Verse 18, 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So Paul is telling us that the Bible particularly the focus on the cross of Calvary, is nonsense to people who have no spiritual interest. It's nonsense. It's ludicrous. But to those who have embraced the salvation of God, it's the power of God. The cross is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. I've had many discussions over the years, discussions about philosophy and and logic and Reasoning and all of that, that that's that's good, but so many of those discussions that end up in some tangent someplace. They're not grounded in anything. I'm not just automatically ignoring, downplaying, speaking ill of philosophy. It has its place. There are things that can be contemplated and conjectured upon, but at the end of the day, the real issues of life are addressed within the Christian experience. Simply conjecturing about how things can be in some highfalutin way doesn't amount to anything. It's often very little practicality associating philosophy. And God said, the wisdom of this world it's not as on the mark as spiritual wisdom. And so the things that God deems wise, the things that he wants us to look at, those things look foolish to a sophisticated world or a supposedly sophisticated world. Verse 22 says, for the Jews require a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling, brethren, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. The message here is that God has so ordained things that it's not our human eloquence, Oratory, wisdom, intelligence, those are not the things that bring about lasting results from a spiritual perspective. Can God use people that are wise? Sure. Can God use people that can speak well? Absolutely. But God doesn't need to rely on them. And some of the things that they need to convey about God and salvation and the great controversy don't sound wise. The dilemmas that we have about the Godhead, how do you deal with a God who knows everything, is all-powerful, is all-loving, but has allowed sickness and, and disease and death? There's no wise answer to that. There's a correct answer to that. There's a godly answer to that, but it's not wise by human standards. God's ways are not our ways. God's approach is not our approach. I know for a fact that God's dealings in my life, sometimes he chooses a counterintuitive approach to grab my attention. Sometimes at the moment that I know I've made a mistake and should not have pursued a particular course, God makes it work. And I know that it's God making it work because I know that there's no way that thing should have worked and I shouldn't have been pursuing it and I shouldn't have been going at it that way. And then he makes it work. And I have to laugh and say, okay, Lord, you got my attention. I need to move in a totally different direction. That's counterintuitive. If someone is doing something you don't want them to do, making them successful in it is usually not a good idea. But God knows when that method when that method is effective for me to stop and say, that's not what I was supposed to be doing. And I'm so grateful that you will love me enough to help me to accomplish something that is suboptimal to remind me of your presence. That seems like a ludicrous approach. It seems counterintuitive. It seems as though it would encourage me to continue operating in a way that he wouldn't want. But God knows what method works. God knows when it requires somebody who is eloquent to be in a particular position to promote the gospel. But he also knows when he needs to just pick up a fisherman who has no background or training and make them the face of religion for a particular group of people or a particular situation. God's ways are not our ways. And it would do us well to remember that. There are times when we're looking to uh, approach a particular project in a particular way, we're praying about it, and the Lord suggests something that seems insane by human standards. We need not to get bent out of shape when doing God's work. There are two things I try to remember when I'm involved in work, ministry, or anything that I know that the Lord is calling me to deal with. One, he picked me for a reason. God knows my attributes. He knows my skills, my strengths, my disposition, my approach. Okay, so he knows me. So he picked me for a reason. At the same time, counterbalancing that thought is the thought that God still has a way that he wants things done. So I will never automatically conclude that because God chose me, I can do whatever I want because he knew, you know, you picked me. So that's what you get. You get whatever it is I feel like doing because that's who I am. That's the, the, the package that, that you selected. No, God does know who I am. God does know what I'm inclined to do. God does know what my strengths are. So when he picks me, he has a reason for doing it. But God also knows how he wants me to operate. He knows what he wants me to learn. He knows how he wants me to grow. So it's entirely possible for him to pick me because of skills I have and a disposition I have and a mentality I have and an approach I have and an experience I have and still want me to do something different than I have done because he needs me to grow and gain new experiences and approach things differently and grow to be more like him, All right? So it's always a balance and God is doing things that's always a balance. So I don't come into things too locked in to what I've done because, oh, I've done this before, I know. No, I've done it before and I'm prepared to do it based on the things I've learned, the experiences I've had, et cetera. But I'm still going to be open to God saying, no, this time different. One of my favorite stories for that, and I've used it a lot of times in podcasts, but it is a favorite story. It's David shortly after he ascends to the throne, goes out against the Philistines. Goes out. They set the battle in array in a particular place. He prays, shall I go up? Lord's like, yeah, sure, go up and you will go. You will win. Goes up and he fights them and defeats them. They go away from there. Shortly thereafter, the Philistines come back to the same place and set the battle in array. And David goes to the same place and sets the battle in array. And he does not assume that because it's the same people in the same place, that he's going to do the same thing and the outcome will be the same. He prays again. Shall I go up? Wilt thou deliver them into my hand? The Lord says, don't go up. Go over this way and wait until you hear the sounds of going in the tops of the mulberry tree. Then go out because I'm going to go before you. The Lord had a different plan. His way was not our way. Usually, you know, I used to play sports, organized sports, basketball in particular, when I was growing up. And one of the things that you did in basketball when you were playing a team if you went and you did a particular move, you set up a pick and roll on the weak side and you scored, guess what you were running the next time? You were going to set up a pick and roll on the weak side until they could stop you. You would do the same play multiple times until they could stop you, right? You don't let up. If if it works, you keep doing it. But God doesn't always work like that because, because importantly, God as part of us being involved in the work of ministry and being co laborers together with Him, God needs to keep ever before us that He is providing the power and the wisdom. So, the, the longer that God allows us to be successful doing the thing the way we've always done the thing, the greater the chance that we begin to believe it's all about us. And God knows. And he understands our frailty, understands our weakness, and he puts situations in place so that we have to do different things, things that we don't even think are going to be successful or look at strangely, so that his name will be glorified, right? That's what verse 31 of 1 Corinthians 1 says. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Every time we do something, and it turns out in a way we did not expect, but it turns out to the glory of God, we grow to appreciate God's involvement and his instructions more and more and more, which is important for us. And it's important for those that hear us. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's about. At the end of the day, it's, it's very easy for us when we do something, when we preach a sermon, give a talk, do a Bible study. It's easy for us to receive the thankfulness of others and get our heads big. It's easy for us to begin to believe that it's us. Oh yeah, 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 we get God's help, of course, but it's us. And it's not about us. We are the vessel that God uses. When I, when I pick up a pen and I write a letter, a story, whatever it is I write, The pen is merely an instrument. It's my thoughts that end up on that paper to convey what I want to say in the way that I need to convey it. The pen is just the instrument. The pen can't take credit for the work that it was involved in producing. The pen is just the instrument. And we have to understand that we are just the instrument sure more intelligent than the pen but also riskier right that intelligence is problematic in the sense that sometimes we take credit for it in the way that the pen is smart enough not to or dumb enough not to as the case might be god's ways are not our ways his thoughts are not our thoughts much higher We need to be in line with God's ways. He sometimes uses the simplest ways, the basest ways, the foolish, the most foolish ways to confound worldly wisdom, weak ways to confound earthly might. Because God's plan is different from our plans because God's ways are different from our ways. 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29 says, But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things that are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. I read up to verse 30. Let's remember this as we go about our labor this week, as we consider our service for God Let us remember that He's not always going to choose a path for us that is worldly-wise or that is strong from a worldly perspective. His ways are not our ways. Let us be open and receptive to doing things His way so that He gets the glory and the best result is obtained. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy and goodness and love. We thank you for your watch care and your protection. We thank you that your ways are not like our ways, that your ways are better. And even though we can't always understand it, help us to go along with your ways. Help us to trust you. Help us to uh, move in accordance with your will. Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. And I pray that... The work that we do for you will be to your name's honor and glory and to the enlargement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. You can reach us via email at biblequestions at asbzone.com. We look forward to hearing from you, whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. We also recommend that you check out the True Wisdom podcast where Robert and I discuss Bible stories and topics together. Both of these podcasts can be found on over a dozen platforms, including Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Please remember our ministries in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share His Holy Word.